This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. So we began a couple of weeks ago a, a series on the book of Philippians uh, called Discover Joy. Philippians um, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's four chapters long. And, and within those four chapters, the, the word for joy in Greek is found some 16 times in various forms. It is, it is an epistle of joy. And so we're calling this series Discover Joy. If you would turn to Philippians chapter 2 right now, and we're going to look today at chapter 2 and verse 19 through chapter 3 and verse 9 and talk about some precious gifts from God. Philippians 2, 19 through 3, 9. If, if you want to follow along and take some notes, the outline uh, will not only be projected on screen, but it's here on the back of your bulletin. If you just kind of want to follow along and uh, take some notes, often helpful to to do that. So let's look this morning at chapter 2 and beginning with verse 19 and follow along um, as I begin reading there. Paul says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been... Has, has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And that he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me that, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for what was lacking in your ministry to me. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the precious gifts that you give us, whether it's special friends that you've given us in the Lord and and ultimately the gift of our salvation. Lord, how we thank you for the gift of Christ's righteousness that has been credited to our accounts by faith. Lord, our, our righteousness could never cut it in your sight. We desperately need a Savior, and we thank you that you have provided a Savior for us in your Son who lived the perfectly righteous life that we could never live and who died in our place on the cross, the death that we should have died so that we can have a life. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your precious gifts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So um, this is a, a picture of, of, of Addison's walk. It's a trail in Oxford, England, and we're always encouraging you to have gospel conversations with, with your friends and family. Just talk about the work of Christ. Well, late one night, there was a gospel conversation that took place on this path that would have profound ramifications, not just for the person who was hearing the good news of Jesus, but for all the people who would hear the good news of Jesus through him. It was on this trail that late one night, two professors at Oxford, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, and then C.S. Lewis, were, were walking along, and they got into a gospel conversation. And, and Tolkien shared the good news of Christ with C.S. Lewis, who had lived almost his whole life as a convinced atheist. But Tolkien was not deterred. He just told Lewis about what Jesus had done and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Well, C.S. Lewis did not come to Christ that night, but after that night on the trail, it became really obvious that the hound of heaven was on his trail. And a few days later, Lewis got into the sidecar of a motorcycle and his brother was driving and C.S. Lewis was deep in thought and God was dealing with him. And by the time they got to their destination, he was in Christ. And no one was more shocked than C.S. Lewis himself. In fact, he wrote about his conversion in his book, Surprised by Joy, which tells the story of his, his early life and the story of how he came to Christ, and as he titles his, his, this, the, the book that gives his testimony, it came as a surprise. It was not something that he expected. It was a shocking, surprising gift of God, and many of God's gifts are like that. His salvation often comes to us as a surprise. Friends come into our lives as a surprise. You, you wake up one morning and you have no idea that that day God is going to introduce you to someone who is going to change your life. But he does things like that. And that's where we begin today in this passage with, with friends from God. The precious gift of, of friends from God. And Paul tells us about that in chapter 2 and verses 19 through 
30. So let's look, first of all, look in your Bibles at verses 19 through 21. Paul says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here we meet someone who became so incredibly important to Paul, to his ministry, and to his life, Timothy. And Timothy came into Paul's life as a surprise. Acts 16 tells us about how they met. At the beginning of chapter 16 of Acts, shortly before Paul went to Philippi, something happened. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So Timothy's mom was a believer. She came from a Jewish background. She had accepted Christ as her Messiah. But his father was a Greek. In other words, he was, his father, Timothy's father, was, was not a believer. But Paul became like a spiritual father to Timothy. Look at chapter um, 2 and verse 22 and what Paul says about him here. He says, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. And so they were not only partners in ministry, but they were just incredibly close, almost like father and, and son. And then in verses 25 through 28, Paul tells us about another special friend from God, Epaphroditus. Look, look beginning at verse 25. He says, but I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and that I may be less anxious. So Epaphroditus was from Philippi. In all likelihood, Epaphroditus had become a Christian during the three months that Paul was in Philippi doing ministry there. And so Paul has seen Epaphroditus, he saw him come to faith in Christ And Paul recognized in Epaphroditus, just like he had done in Timothy, potential for for greater service in the Lord. And so when Paul leaves Philippi, in all likelihood, he takes takes Epaphroditus with him to, to serve alongside him. And so now Epaphroditus is with Paul uh, in Rome. He had been sick, very sick, almost to the point of death. And the people back in Philippi had heard about it, but what they had not heard was that Epaphroditus was well. Remember, no email, no even, no planes to take uh, snail mail in a, in a fast way. And so they had heard that Epaphroditus was sick almost to the point of death. They had not heard that he had recovered. And so Paul's plan is to, is to have Epaphroditus deliver the letter that he's, the letter that we're studying now 
to the congregation at Philippi. And so imagine what a joyous homecoming this was going to be, right? Epaphroditus is one of their own. And now Epaphroditus is going to return to them with this letter in his, in his hands. So what do we see here? When we look at these, at these three, that the relationships between uh, Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy, all friends, friends from God, I want us to draw three principles from this. First of all, the relationship principle. The relationship principle. So this entire section from verses 19 through the end of chapter 2 speaks to how crucial relationships are, friendships are in the Christian life. I mean, one of, one of the most... Um, Horrible things since March of 2020 has been the isolation of people from one another. Um, and, you know, people were already, even before COVID, people were more and more lonely, more and more isolated in our culture. People were more and more into screens and just kind of isolating themselves, whether that's, you know, uh, uh, through you know, video games or just all the thousands of streaming options that we all have available uh, to us now through you know Netflix or whatever or our phones or social media or whatever you know and listen you know all those things can be you know used used profitably if used in, in if done in moderation but a lot of people are not using those things in moderation. And so as a result, people in our culture are more and more isolated. And that was already happening before. And then when you throw on top of that, you know, uh, mandates to kind of isolate from one another, it just sends those things into, you know, hyperdrive, ten bad tendencies that were already there. And, you know, I'm not here to pontificate about, you know, COVID policy or whatever. That's not my place. But I do know as a pastor who cares about people's spiritual health and emotional health, that people being isolated from one another is just one of the worst things that can possibly happen and to any human being. And, and in the church, we especially need relationships, we need one another. We need, we need one another for our growth in Christ. Because no matter how faithful that you are in your own personal walk with the Lord, and I hope you're, I hope you're very faithful in, your, in, in having your own personal quiet time with the Lord each day, and that, you know, that's, that's vital. But listen, there's a, there's, there are parts of the Christian walk and, and growth in Christ that have to happen in the context with, of relationships with other people. We need one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need lots of time with one another, face-to-face -face time with brothers and sisters in Christ as we encourage each other and as we build one another up. And, and, and if we're not around people who are not yet believers, how are, how, are, how are people who are not yet Christians ever going to come to Christ unless we make the effort to be around them? Because, listen, people who are not yet Christians are in all likelihood are not reading their Bible, they're reading you. But you've got to be 
around them and invest in them in order for gospel conversations to take place and for people to come to know the Lord. And so relationships are just incredibly vital. The relationship principle. Second, the character principle. The character principle. Look at the character of these three men. First of all, look at Paul's character. Think about Paul's unselfishness in investing in these two young guys, in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Discipling people takes time. It takes it takes time. You've got you've to be willing to sacrifice and get away from just some of the things that you do, whether it's you know, your hobby or what you do in your downtime or whatever, to, to be unselfish enough to really spend time with other people and taking them under your wing and pouring into them. That's what Paul did with both Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so we see his unselfishness. He was living a life for others. His, his whole mentality was to be looking for people to spend time with and disciple. That's the mission of our church, to make disciples who make disciples. But that only can happen if we're willing to be unselfish enough to spend time investing in people. And so we see Paul's unselfishness in that way. We also see his unselfishness in that he is willing to give up both of these guys to go and be with the Philippians because they needed it. Think about Paul's situation as he writes this. He's in prison. He's in Rome in prison. He can't go anywhere. He's dependent on people like Timothy and Epaphroditus visiting him, being with him as he's incarcerated, but what is he getting ready to do? He's getting ready to give up Epaphroditus. He's sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter in his hand, and then he hopes to send Timothy not long after Epaphroditus. So again, we see Paul's unselfishness, and that he's thinking about them and their welfare, and he's willing to give up two guys who are very precious to to him. What do we see here about Timothy's character? And look at what Paul says about him uh, here in, uh, in, verses, in verses 20 uh, and, and following. He says of Timothy, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now Paul talked about um, this, thing, this unselfish mentality uh, earlier in the chapter, in, in, uh, in verses 3 and 4, look back in chapter 2 and, and look at what he said in, in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. And so we see that Timothy was a model of that. Paul says in verses 20 and 21, I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely, genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying here, listen, even within the Christians that I'm, that I'm around, most of them are not showing the kind of unselfishness that Timothy is showing. Because what do we, de- what do we all default to in our sinful nature? Self. Selfishness right? So we have to fight against, against the grain of our selfishness to, to put others first. And Timothy had done that in his, 
character. Third, look at Epaphroditus' character. Look at how Paul describes Epaphroditus in verse 25. Look in verse 25. He says, but I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Think about that. So he's my brother. In Christ, we become a family of brothers and sisters to one another. He says he's my co-worker. We are serving, laboring together for the Lord. And then he describes Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 2 in verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please his, the commanding officer. So, what is characteristic of soldiers? Soldiers expect hardship and suffering, and soldiers are focused on executing orders, right? And, and, and Paul says, Epaphroditus has been my fellow soldier. Um, he's willing to endure hardship and suffering for the Lord. He's, 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 he's focused on just, he's focused on the commanding officer, the Lord Jesus, and just executing orders as one under the authority and lordship of, of Christ. So we see the character principle here. Third, the honor principle. The honor principle. Verses uh, 29 and 30. He says, Therefore welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for what was lacking in your ministry to me. You know, when, when uh, teams win the Super Bowl, they often have a parade in their home city or, you know, they go to Disney World and have a parade. Our family's been at Disney a couple of times when they had Super Bowl uh, parades and stuff, and it's, it's really cool. Or it's a New York team. They have a ticker tape parade and all the, you know, all the ticker tape raining down. Well, if we, if we give honor to those who have won a game which has no eternal significance whatsoever, how much more should we honor those who have served sacrificially in, in imparting truth, which has eternal significance. So we see the, the honor principle here. So friends from God, precious gift from him. The second gift that we see here is righteousness from God. Righteousness from God. And we see that in chapter 3 and verses 1 through 9. Let's look, let's look uh, first of all, at verse 9. Paul says that he wants to be found in him, that means in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. In other words, we need a righteousness that is outside of us. Why? Because our righteousness won't cut it. <laughs> Isaiah says our righteousness is like filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We're all sinners. Our own righteousness is not going to cut it in the sight of a holy God who hates sin. And so when we go to stand before God one day, which every single one of us is going to do, how are we going to stand before a holy God? 
Are we going to try to do that in our own self-righteousness? Well, that's going to be bad news if we try to do that. We need a righteousness from outside of us. We need the righteousness of Christ. Christ lived the perfect life that we could never live. He had no sin, but on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Christ took your sin so that you can take his righteousness and be covered with his righteousness as a gift. Now Paul has experienced this. And more than that, he had taught the Philippians about this when he was with them. But now some false teachers had come in and that were sowing confusion. And so he says in verse one of chapter three, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and it is a safeguard for you. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that what I'm getting ready to talk about, what I'm getting ready to write about, you guys have heard me talk about before, but I'm gonna say it again because it's a safeguard for you. There's something that you need to watch out for. He says in verses two and three, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So what, what is he talking about here? There were false teachers who were going around and they were impacting churches like the church at Philippi and others. The whole book of Galatians is written about this very issue. And basically what they were saying is, it's fine for you to believe in Christ. That's okay. But if you're really going to be saved, you have to become Jewish first. You have to accept things like circumcision and the Jewish law. So in other, in other words, basically what these guys were teaching was a gospel of Christ plus, which is no gospel at all. The gospel is Jesus Christ plus nothing. Christ alone. You know why? Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his finished work for us. We can't add anything to it. And these false teachers were trying to add something to the gospel. They were, they were saying, yeah, it's fine for you to believe in Christ, but you know, it's really Christ plus you know, this or that. No, it's Jesus Christ plus nothing. It's all about him. Now this was very personal for Paul because he came from a Jewish background. And Paul is like, listen, if anybody could be saved through their obedience to the Jewish law, through their Jewish credentials, it was me. What does he say in verses four through six? He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul says, I checked every box. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul says, I was Jewish from head to toe. You couldn't be any more Jewish than me. 
And as far as the law, I was a Pharisee, the strictest sect within Judaism, the strictest sect in regards to obedience to the law. That was me. In fact, I was so zealous that I was persecuting Christians. I was having them killed and thrown into prison. I was so zealous. And regarding the righteousness that was in the law, all the, all the rules and regulations, I was blameless. I checked every single box. And I was proud of myself. I was proud of my religious credentials. And I thought all that stuff went into the gain column. And then one day on the road to Damascus, I met Jesus. And everything that I thought was in the gain column became like rubbish to me because I had found true treasure. Verses seven and eight. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, Jesus once told a parable about a guy finding treasure in a field. And so this guy's going along in a field and he's plowing He's plowing through the ground and he, and he feels the plow strike something in the earth. And so he comes around and he starts digging, digging back in the dirt and there's this box there. And he, and he looks around, he opens up the box and there's treasure, treasure beyond compare. And so what does he do? He covers it back up and then he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to buy that field because he knows if he can buy that field, what's he going to have? Treasure. All of his other possessions and his, his life up to that point are nothing, nothing compared to the treasure that he's found. That's what Paul is saying in verses seven and eight. You know, when I met Christ, I found true treasure, true treasure. And I consider everything else just lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then that feeds into what he says about righteousness from God in verse 9. So, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I love what Tim Keller says about, about this. Keller says, in Christianity, the moment we believe, God imputes Christ's perfect performance to us as if it were our own and adopts us into his family. That's what's happened to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. In a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. We do that as brothers and sisters. 
we do that as a family. We do that as brothers and sisters who have been adopted into a family based not on our righteousness, but based on the perfect righteousness of Christ, which has been given to us as a gift. Let's bow in prayer together. As we spend some moments reflecting before the Lord, listen, I would ask you first of all, have you received righteousness from God? Because we're all going to stand before God one day. Our own righteousness is not going to cut it. We need a perfect righteousness. And Christ gives us that. Christ lived the perfect sinless life that none of us can ever live. And on the cross, he took our sins upon himself, died in our place, and then he rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life, so that we can go and stand before God one day clothed in his perfect righteousness. And and God accepts us now based on the perfect performance of Christ. But listen, have you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? The work has been done for us, and it's offered to us as a gift, but have you received that gift? I want to invite you right now to turn to Jesus Christ and trust him as your Savior and Lord. Say, Lord, I give my life to you. I believe you died for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven but I believe that Jesus lived the perfect life I could never live, died in my place, rose from the dead, and I I put all of my trust and my confidence in him. Christian, is Jesus Christ your treasure? Or are you trying to find all kinds of substitutes, substitute treasures, that will never satisfy you? Is Jesus Christ truly your treasure today? What are the things that you need to turn from that are hindering your relationship with the Lord? What are the, what are the God substitutes that you're trying to find that are never going to, to satisfy? The Bible tells us that as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, these are the kinds of things that we need to deal with before God. Let's examine ourselves. Father, we, we know that none of us is worthy to, to take part in this. None of us is worthy to even, to even know you, come before you. But we thank you that in your love and in your grace that you've given your son for us. We thank you that there's a savior who died for sinners like us, took our sins upon himself, and rose from the dead that we can have eternal life. We thank you for adopting us as your very own children, as your very own sons and daughters, and that you accept us now and love us based on the perfect performance of Christ on our behalf. And as we take part in the supper that you ordained, 
we are focusing on Christ's work, the centrality of what you have done for us through your son and the fact that his body was broken and his blood was shed for sinners like us. Lord, may you use this time to draw us close to you and close to one another. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.